Good morning, and welcome to Simply Politics. It's Tuesday, January 30th. On today's show, can Pakistan's politicians break the military's stranglehold? Plus, Trump ties himself in knots on the U.S.-Mexico border in a brazen political move. And in our analysis segment, we discuss Biden's task of dealing with a second war he didn't want and containing it. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Politics. We start off with a look at Pakistan as it prepares for its February 8th general election. The military's influence over the political process is once again under scrutiny. Despite promises from former Army Chief Kamar Javed Bajwa in 2022 that the military would refrain from interfering in Pakistan's democratic functioning, concerns about the military's role in politics persist. Here to discuss this further is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Politics. Can you give us an overview of the current situation? Indeed, David. The military's influence in Pakistan's politics is deep-rooted and has been a constant factor since the country's independence. It has directly ruled Pakistan for more than three decades, and has controlled the levers of power from behind the scenes for much of the rest of the country's 77 years as an independent nation. This influence has resulted in a democracy where no prime minister has ever completed a five-year tenure, but three out of four military dictators managed to rule for more than nine years each. So how does this military influence manifest in the upcoming elections? As Pakistan gears up for its 12th general election, the military shadow is evident. Observers have expressed concerns regarding the fairness of the polls with the Pakistan Tehreek Saf, PTI party of former Prime Minister Imran Khan, denied its election symbol, many of its leaders, including Khan, behind bars, and several others in hiding. The party's members have to contest as independent candidates. Journalists have spoken about a shroud of censorship imposed by the military, especially when it comes to reporting on Khan and the PTI. What is the root cause of this deep military influence in Pakistan's politics? The military's supremacy over the country's institutions was born out of the war against India in 1948, just a year after independence. The military has consistently received more budgetary resources than any other government department. This, coupled with multiple wars with India, has shored up the sense of the army's centrality in Pakistan. The influence accrued by the military in the initial years led to a political configuration in the country that political scientist Asma Faiz describes as establishmentarian democracy. And how have the politicians responded to this military influence? There's a mixed response from politicians. Some veteran leaders have blamed politicians for being too eager to play along with the military. They argue that politicians have often reached out to the military to unseat their opponents. However, others argue that while political parties are flawed, their failings are due to frequent military interference. This interference has resulted in political parties being dynastic, family-controlled, internally undemocratic, and with limited local-level presence. So what's the way forward? Can the country of 241 million people rectify the civilian-military imbalance? That's the million-dollar question, David. Some suggest that politicians must commit to a system of elections and a coherent set of rules by which they abide, regardless of any short-term benefit they gain by flouting those rules. 
Others argue that the military cannot be ignored and that the solution to the country's problems requires military involvement. They suggest that all stakeholders, including the military, courts, and others, should sit together to figure out a roadmap forward. Thanks to Simply Politics reporter Celeste for that insightful report. Now, shifting our focus to international affairs, as the Middle East faces a wider regional war, President Joe Biden's challenge is to prevent a dramatic escalation. Despite neither Washington nor Tehran seeming to want a full-scale regional war, the situation remains volatile. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent from Simply Politics. Indeed, David, the situation in the Middle East is complex. Less than three years after Biden officially ended a two-decade-long combat mission in Iraq, the United States finds itself embroiled in a war in the wider Middle East again. The Biden administration's efforts to prevent an escalation have so far been unsuccessful, with U.S. strikes against Iranian-backed militia not deterring recent attacks. What are the implications of this for the Biden administration? The Biden administration is in a difficult position. All potential options before them are unfavorable, and the task of seeking to slow a deepening crisis may end up exacerbating it. The violence that has erupted outside Gaza underscores the grave potential of the war. The challenge for Biden is to find the balance between deterrence and disastrous escalation. What are some of the key events that have escalated the situation in the region? There have been several key events. Hezbollah, a pro-Iranian group based in Lebanon, has been waging a low-grade war against Israel. Houthi attacks on Red Sea shipping have disrupted global supply chains and raised the cost of the cargo trade. The U.S. and Britain have launched strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen, but this has not stopped the attacks. The U.S. has also launched strikes against targets linked to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps in Syria and Iraq. Israel has expanded its own war by carrying out a drone strike that killed a senior Hamas leader in Beirut. Despite the escalating conflict, there seems to be some control over the situation. Can you elaborate on this? Yes. While the situation is serious, it's unfolding as a set of controlled escalations that has yet to acquire its own destructive momentum. Some worst-case scenarios haven't occurred such as a massive onslaught of missile attacks by Hezbollah against Israeli cities. The calibrated escalations have fueled an impression in Washington that Iran doesn't want a full-scale regional conflagration any more than the United States does. What are the potential implications of this conflict for the United States? The implications are significant. The loss of American lives is tragic, and there is the potential for a large-scale attack on U.S. interests. The progression of the conflict has been steady rather than sudden, but it's not a given that it will stay that way. The challenge for Biden is to assert U.S. power in a way that doesn't make the conflict even more dangerous and likely to spiral out of control. What is the political context of this situation at home for Biden? Biden's decision-making cannot be divorced from the political context at home. No president can afford to look like they've lost control when U.S. troops are dead. This is especially the case for Biden, with accusations of weakness at the heart of potential 2024 election campaigns. Hawkish Republicans are demanding he attack Iran on Iranian soil, while others are calling for targeted attacks on the leadership of the IRGC. Biden's challenge is to navigate these pressures while managing the volatile situation in the Middle East. Thanks to Bella, 
our Simply Politics correspondent, for her insights into the escalating conflict in the Middle East. Now shifting our focus to the U.S.-Mexico border, former President Donald Trump is making claims about his administration's handling of the border, stating that he stopped all movement between the two countries. This comes as he pushes lawmakers to reject a bipartisan proposal aimed at increasing President Joe Biden's power to curb illegal crossings. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent for Simply Politics. Indeed, David. Mr. Trump took to his Truth Social platform to make these claims. He stated that he didn't need a big, complex, Democrat-oriented border bill to stop crossings during his administration. He also claimed that the U.S. had the safest border in the history of our country during his time in office because he just closed the border. And what about his claims regarding asylum seekers? Mr. Trump claimed, without providing evidence, that people seeking asylum are pouring into the U.S. from jails and mental institutions located all over the world. He described the situation as an invasion and stated that it would only get worse if Mr. Biden were to remain in office. What is Mr. Trump's stance on the immigration and asylum reform legislation? He has repeatedly claimed that such legislation is unnecessary, citing his own administration's harsh policies, such as forcibly separating parents from their children to prosecute the parents for illegal entry into the U.S. He has been a vocal opponent to the Senate-led talks over a compromise bill, which would reportedly allow the president to close the border and halt the processing of asylum claims if more than 5,000 people per day attempt to present themselves to Border Patrol officers. What has been the response from the Biden administration and other Republicans to these claims? Republicans involved in the cross-party talks have touted the compromise bill as a necessary solution to unlawful crossings, and President Biden has promised to sign any bipartisan immigration bill that reaches his desk. However, Mr. Trump and his GOP allies in the House have been working to undermine the border bill, as it could prevent him from using the entry of non-white migrants into the U.S. as a political weapon against Mr. Biden. The White House has criticized this flip-flop on the need for presidential authority to stem migration, pointing out that both Mr. Trump and GOP leaders previously pushed for the same sort of proposal. What are the implications of these claims for the ongoing discussions on the border bill? Mr. Trump's claims and his opposition to the compromise bill could potentially complicate the ongoing discussions. He has claimed that the bill is not necessary and has accused Democrats of using the horrific Senate bill to shift the blame for the border situation onto the Republicans. This comes as the White House continues to highlight the inconsistency in the GOP's stance on the need for presidential authority to secure the border. That was Simply Politics correspondent Abby, providing insight into the ongoing political debate over the U.S.-Mexico border situation. Now shifting our focus to another geopolitical hotspot, as the Middle East continues to be embroiled in a wider regional war, President Joe Biden faces the challenge of preventing a dramatic escalation, despite neither Washington nor Tehran seemingly wanting a full-scale regional war. The situation remains volatile. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent for Simply Politics, James. So James, what is the current state of affairs in the Middle East? The situation is indeed complex, David. Less than three years after Biden officially declared the end of a two-decade-long combat mission in Iraq, 
the United States finds itself again involved in a war in the wider Middle East. Despite US strikes against Iranian-backed militia, attacks on American military facilities and commercial shipping in the Red Sea continue. The challenge now is to prevent this region-wide war from spiraling out of control. What are the potential options for President Biden in this situation? Biden is in a difficult position where all potential options seem to be unfavorable. The task of slowing a deepening crisis may end up exacerbating it. The violence that has erupted outside Gaza underscores the grave potential of the war. We've seen attacks from Hezbollah, Houthi attacks on Red Sea shipping, US and Britain strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen, and more. The challenge is to find a balance between deterrence and disastrous escalation. What are the potential consequences of a full-scale regional war? A full-scale regional war could have devastating consequences. For instance, a massive onslaught of missile attacks by Hezbollah against Israeli cities could be catastrophic. Similarly, a large-scale attack on US interests, such as catastrophic damage to a US naval ship with a huge loss of life, could multiply the intensity of the conflict on multiple fronts. The situation is incredibly volatile and could escalate quickly. What is the political context of this situation at home? Biden's decision-making cannot be divorced from the political context at home. No president can afford to look like they've lost control when US troops are dead. This is especially the case for Biden, with accusations of weakness at the heart of Trump's 2024 case against his successor. Hawkish Republicans are demanding he attack Iran on Iranian soil, while others are calling for targeted attacks on the leadership of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. So what is the most likely outcome of this situation? While it's difficult to predict, the most likely outcome is a range of punishing attacks against the capabilities of Iran's proxies on a scale not yet seen. However, Biden still must wrestle with this unanswerable question. How does he assert US power in a widening regional war in a way that doesn't make the conflict even more dangerous, expansive, and likely to careen out of control? James, thanks for your insights on that difficult question. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Politics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.